Here's what's coming up on Tuesday's installment of NSN Daily. We are diving into Chris Murray's mailbag for your latest crop of questions, including some Nevada football and baseball talk, plus the Food Network. Anything will help at this point. With the Miami Heat on the brink of the NBA Finals, we feature former Wolfpack great Caleb Martin's journey to South Beach and the famous friend who played a big role. I think it can relate to everything. And there's a lot up for grabs this week at the Reno Open. Popular golf personality Ryan French stops by to set the table. All that and a whole lot more coming up right now on NSN Daily. Well, hello there and welcome to NSN Daily from our champion Chevrolet studio. He's Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson. No more high school, no more <laughs> Nevada athletics. It's time to get creative. Uh, yeah, we'll find some stuff to talk <laughs> about. There's always a lot to talk we about. We always do. Yeah, there's a one-time silver and blue great on the precipice of playing in the NBA Finals. Caleb Martin and the Miami Heat up three games to none on the Boston Celtics. They'll play game four tonight. There is a fantastic feature we are about to show you courtesy of the Heat, but Chris, let's first just talk about Caleb, one of many undrafted stars on this team. Yeah, I mean, that's why he went there, to be honest, is that was a pretty stacked roster, but he said this is a team that doesn't really care about where you came from or yeah. what you were drafted. They're going to get the best out of you as a player, and they certainly have done that. He has been one of the stars of the show, probably their third most valuable player during this playoff run, Incredible. and actually he has the highest plus-minus rating. When he's been on the court in the playoffs, the Miami Heat have outscored their opponents by 109 points. No player on the team has a higher mark than that, so he is playing fantastically this season. One win away from becoming only the second Wolfpack player to ever play in an NBA Finals, joining JaVale McGee, and he is a big reason why as a starring role, and we'll see if they can get it done tonight. I think we all knew that there was a place in the NBA for Caleb Martin, but even this has been a little bit surprising, the success he's had with Miami, and that stat cannot be overstated, leading the entire team in plus-minus. My yeah. goodness. I mean, it just shows that he uh, impacts winning. Yeah. Everything that he does, I mean, it, so many players, if your shot's not falling, you're not valuable to your team. That's not Caleb Martin. He plays defense. He moves the ball. He has a ton of toughness, and I think that's what probably attracted Miami to signing him. And now he's hitting his three-point shots. He's been shooting absolutely phenomenal during the playoffs, making more than 55% of his shots, wow. more than 40% from three. So everything is going right for Miami right now, but it wasn't always going right for Caleb Martin, who was kind of left out in the cold after two years with Charlotte. They cut him, and he didn't know where his future was going to lie. Eventually, it did lead to Miami. You said it. One of the reasons behind Caleb Martin signing in Miami is pretty special. The story behind it, again, something special and made possible by a fellow North Carolina native who just happens to be a famous rapper as well. Here is how Caleb found his way into the heat culture via the team itself. Away from the Hornets, and... I'm going with my trainer. Uh, we obviously we work out there at Coach Gym, so we're there working out. And he seen me come play every day. We're playing pickup with him and some of the other guys that's in the area. And um, he's like, "Man, what's 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 going on? What's the word? Anybody?" I'm like, "Man, I've heard nothing." So I'm just I'm just basically working out. I was going between there and going to Lifetime and doing my own workout there. During that summer after Caleb had got cut. You know, we see him every day. We see him work. We see him play. You know, they get a lot of guys come in and get runs, and it just didn't make sense. It's like, yo, this guy's too good. It was other, um, you know, people throughout the league would come by and they'd be like, how is he not on the team? 
He was like, man, I'm gonna uh, I'm reach out to a couple contacts. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't know what that meant. I don't know who he knows, but I'm like, anything will help at this point. There was no ulterior motive or anything for Cole. It was just like, man, this is my guy, and he deserves a shot. So he, Cole has a relationship with Karan. We have a good relationship with Karan. So he just called him like, yo, I know you're in Miami. Like, you should take a look at this kid. I actually got a phone call from J. Cole, who's been a friend of mine for years, and he reached out and he was just like, yo, I got a great connection with him. Um, and what you think of him. And we eventually invited him to the gym. He called me like, he get up here tomorrow, man, and I'll, I'll be wherever I gotta be, you know what I mean? And you know, that was, like I said, I felt like I was like on life support almost, and I was like on my last leg going to the league, so I'm like, man, and it was just weird, because I'm like, to me in my mind, I was like thinking I did enough in the league. I thought I had enough footage and film, whatever, to, for somebody to take a chance on me, but it was, it was a tough year for a lot of people. So I'm like, yeah, I'm already in the area, blah, blah, because, you know, I can come over here tomorrow. I'm in Charlotte, and I don't have a booster shot yet. So I drive all the way two hours to Raleigh, get my booster shot, fly out that night, get in. We got him tested, got him through. Uh, this one, the protocols were extremely crazy still. He checked all the boxes and was able to participate. I got all this adrenaline. I'm like, didn't really sleep the night before and nothing like that, just because I'm like, man, I just, there's no way the shot can make me feel bad. I get in and I play, and we play pickup, and I end up playing pretty well. From the second he got here, you know, the brass level, I see Riles looking like, oh yeah, that was, that was heat like defense, you know what I mean? Like he's making that multiple efforts on the defensive end of the floor. And uh, his shot, you know, he was able to make shots, open shots in the rhythm, one 1,000, two 1,000, wasn't exhausting the dribble. I was like, all right, cool. Maybe it can be something. Let's see where it goes. I scooter back from the gym. And when I was on the scooter, uh, Cole, J. Cole, and all my trainers, they were calling me as soon as I left the gym. We're like, what happened with Caleb? You heard from him? And I was like, no, I haven't heard from him. I said, let me call him right now. So I called him on FaceTime. And I just remember he answered. And he's like sweating. And he's like looking around. He's like holding his shoes over his shoulders. <laughs> like, he had no idea what he was doing. He was like, how'd you do? I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to tell you when I get back to the hotel, let me ride back. I can't, I can't hold the phone and drive the scooter. Man, give us the details. Like, we want to know what happened. And he was like, well, I hit a few game winners. I had a reverse dunk. I hit like 60. We like, yo, you, you went crazy. And, and we were so happy for him. We was all like, yeah, like, you know, it's just exciting to see someone get a chance and make the most out of it. Felt like he played pretty well. He put himself in a good position. And Turned out he killed it. As soon as I got back to the hotel, I literally sat down, set my bag down, and then I got a call saying that they, I was going to get a uh, two-way offer. As a friend, it makes me feel great for him because he deserves it. And you know, sometimes a two-way in the right place is better than a guaranteed contract in the wrong situation. No one finds diamonds in the rough better than this franchise, obviously. So it's like the opportunity to be somewhere that you can maximize your talents. It's like you have to take it. Once I accepted that after like 20 minutes after the phone call I got, and I was like, okay, all right, I'm, all right, I'm ready. You know, one thing I was nervous of was being, you know, being in here with a lot of older guys and not thinking there would have been much playing time, and you know, just it just didn't look like the right, you know, situation to get in the rotation, but it ended up being the perfect spot. 
No words, really. I feel like it's cool enough just being friends with J. Cole, <laughs> let alone having him be so tight with you that he's going to make a call to Karan Butler like that and land Caleb with the Miami Heat. Ends up getting that three-year, $20 million contract last offseason, which looks like a bargain now. Heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, he could probably, <laughs> if he was a free agent this offseason, be getting $20 million a year. Ooh. So he probably doesn't want to think about that. Obviously, he got some <laughs> other things he has to focus on. But no surprise that he's been able to make it in the NBA. It is a cutthroat business. But if you know this guy's childhood growing right. up with his mom, is a single mother working multiple jobs, and obviously twin brother Cody, and then he's got an older brother as well, all in one single wide trailer in Moxville, North Carolina. Um, they didn't have anything handed to them when they were kids. They have not had anything handed to them since they got to the NBA. So while what could have been the worst moment of Caleb Martin's life, getting cut by Charlotte, ended up being uh, a big blessing because he was able to go to an organization that really believed in him and he has been able to pay it back by becoming one of their best players. So it's been really, really cool to see. Hopefully this is just the start of a really long mm -hmm. career in the NBA, this being his fourth season. But uh, you don't know when you're going to get this opportunity again, not just with the team, but to win an NBA championship, and they are five wins away from doing that, you know he's not going to take that for granted. He did phenomenal things at Nevada. He's doing phenomenal things with the Miami Heat, and I know all of Northern Nevada rooting for uh, Caleb Martin to be able to bring home a, a ring. Certainly one of the good guys that came through here, and they, they come back every year for their annual camp, he and Cody do, and it's clear the people uh, in terms of nationwide and maybe even worldwide are catching on to Caleb because we had an old story on NevadaSportsNet.com <laughs> that got some clicks over the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a story probably two years ago, and when we had talked with Caleb during the pandemic, he was nice enough. I just texted him, hey, could we get you on? I know you, know, you can't really go anywhere, and he had kind of talked about at one point when he was an undrafted free agent, he thought about not signing with Charlotte because he didn't think that both him and Cody would be able to form their own identity on the same team yeah. fighting for the same minutes. He did eventually sign with Charlotte. That was the home state uh, team. And, uh, you know, he played okay there. He, right around five points per game, shot about 39% from the field. But it really took him separating from his brother right. to form his own identity, to be able to kind of spread his wings. So um, he's been able to do that. Unfortunately, Cody got injured this year, That's only right. played seven games in the regular season. Hopefully he can get healthy. He did get another big contract this last offseason, four years, 32 million. So actually making a little bit more uh, than his younger brother by a couple of minutes. But both of them have been able to, you know, maybe form their own identity a little bit away from each other, which right. they never got a chance to do because AAU, they played together, high school, both colleges played together, start their NBA career together. Certainly getting away from his brother and being able to only focus on himself and not worry about, well, am I taking my brother's minutes has been able to allow Caleb to have a really successful couple of years in Miami. He is flourishing and hopefully Cody, as you said, will have a big bounce back year coming up next year. Of course, there is one team in the NBA Finals already and for the first time ever, the Denver Nuggets completing the sweep of the Lakers Monday in Los Angeles, holding on in game four, 113-111. The West's top seed holding true and taking the conference. Another day at the office for Nikola Jokic, 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists. Mundane by his standards, really. LeBron James leading LA with 40, 10, and 9. He said after the game, he's got some things to consider ahead of next season did not do his exit interview today along with a lot of other Lakers but first Chris the Nuggets so good. Yeah, I mean, the offense is <laughs> phenomenal. They move the ball so where, uh, well, they're so skilled. And when Jamal Murray plays like he did in this series, the Nuggets are not going to be beat by anybody because you know what you're going to get from Jokic. Certainly in this game, Aaron Gordon really stepped up. Yeah. He hit a couple of threes. He was phenomenal. You got Michael Porter Jr. is a very good shooter as well. KCP's won a championship with the Lakers. He is a very, very strong starter, defensive two-way player. Their bench not super deep, but Bruce Brown had some really big games. So um, they're just really hard to stop on the offense. 
defensive side of the ball. And it is, if it is Miami who they face, Miami does have a very good defense. I don't think anybody's slowing down the Nuggets, though. In terms of the Lakers' perspective, I think LeBron does come back yeah. next year. I don't think he's going to retire, but it has to be very bitter to get swept and to lose what were three very close games. I mean, game one, game two, and then you look at game uh, four. These are all chances that they had to win. Yeah. And they just didn't come up with the big plays, specifically in this game. LeBron has like almost a 40-point triple-double. But he doesn't be able you know, make the last couple of shots in the last 30 seconds, and people are kind of ragging on him. But to be able to do what he's done at age 38 has been phenomenal. Unreal. Just n nowhere near close enough to beat the Nuggets. I don't think we saw a sweep coming, though. But as you said, there were some tight games there, and the Nuggets showed why they are the top seed and were leading the West pretty much the whole year. All right, next on Daily, we're going to hit the links. A bunch of young pros over in the Washoe Valley this week trying to make some cash and get into the Barracuda. We've got Ryan French in next. Tell us about Ryan French, Chris. Yeah, Ryan French, he uh, runs Monday Q Info. So he basically follows the minor leagues of professional golf, and he's in town for that Reno Open. That's pretty interesting. Chris's chat with him coming up next right here on Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. I am Chris Murray here with Ryan French of Monday Q Info. You've got a very popular Twitter handle, and we're talking golf. We're talking the Reno Open, which starts today at Toyabi down in Washoe Valley, runs through Thursday. Whoever wins that event gets an automatic berth into the Barracuda Championship later this summer. But let's get a little bit of your backstory. So you kind of follow the grinders trying to make it onto the PGA Tour. You've been doing it the last five years or so. How did you get into this? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep a Cliff Notes version. <laughs> uh, I have always been a golf nerd my whole life, but no background in journalism or social media or anything. And uh, our son had brain surgery about six years ago. Uh, he's doing fine now. And uh, I left my job to, uh, to stay at home for a couple weeks. I thought I would be home for six weeks or so. And uh, six years later, somehow I'm sitting on this set, <laughs> which is crazy. It's been a wild ride. Very, very appreciative of what it is. But uh, yeah, just cover the minor leagues of golf. And how did you kind of get into it in terms of that being a passion of yours? You said you, you know, followed golf. Did you play yep. growing up? Were you? Yeah, so uh, golf my whole life, lived on a golf course. Uh, I, can't, I played college golf, and then uh, after college golf, my dad and I did a trip that a lot of people would never dream of, but we went to mini tours and caddied. So that was like 20, 25 years ago. Wow. And that gave me great insight. I always say I knew the talent out there and how how good these guys are that aren't on the PGA Tour, uh, but I didn't realize the lifestyle that they had to live in order to make this work, the financial ramifications and, and uh, struggle it is. And so I tell this story all the time. It kind of really brought the account to life uh, much later, but we, were, we used to camp and uh, we were in a campground, a public campground, and I was brushing my teeth and a player came in. Uh, we were out on the Canadian Tour mm -hmm. and uh, and I said, what are you doing here? And he's like, this is how I afford it. I pull wow. my camper to every event. And it was kind of great insight, kind of my aha moment of like, these guys don't have it as good as a lot of people think. Was it your idea or your dad's idea to just go caddying on kind of the back tours? It was my idea kind of out of the blue. And uh, yeah, I, it was, uh, I think like 2005 was our first trip. And I, I just Googled it and the Canadian tour, which is, was not affiliated with the PGA tour at that time. Uh, we went there as a great mini tour and uh, the, the caddy master was so happy to have us because we knew what golf was. A lot of the caddies were like high school kids oh, or okay. <laughs> retired folks who had no experience caddying whatsoever. And so the players used to fight over us when we went oh. to things because we knew how to stand and what to do. So, yeah, uh, yeah so that, that along with my son having brain surgery was kind of the catalyst of this, but no expectations that it would ever be a thing. 
uh, and somehow it's become. So your Twitter favorite. handle is at a case of the golf one and almost 135,000 followers. So clearly people are interested in what you're putting out there, I guess. Um, has it surprised you at how big that account has become I mean, and how interested people are on those golfers just trying to get into a PGA Tour event? Yeah. Again, uh, my handle is the worst. In, <laughs> it's kind of an insight into how little expectations I had because I, I chose something it wasn't available and Twitter suggested that. And I okay. was like, yeah, no one will care. So I'll just take that. And uh, yeah, I, no expectations whatsoever. But I think what has really resonated with people is the human interest side. I, I say this all the time, Chris, is that I think uh, we've all been to a minor league baseball game. We know that that world exists. A lot of people have never been to a minor league uh, golf, anything, even the Corn Ferry Tour doesn't have a huge following. So people just, blocked out that part all the golf ex golf exposure they had was guys cashing huge checks and flying private jets and those kind of things I, a lot of people just didn't know this world even existed what have kind of been some of the top success stories that you've seen as you've gone through this and maybe seen some of these players make that jump up? yeah i mean there's a lot Corey connors uh was very talented was going to be on the pga tour but he monday qualified for the valero texas open in 2019 and won that week um and his i always say is like Corey would have made it eventually, but mm -hmm. that fast forwarded his career many times. Uh, Michael Vilsacki, Doc Redman, Russell Knox, all of these guys like started their career. JT Postman, all PGA Tour winners, all started their career or jump started it in a Monday. So um, I've just kind of brought those stories to light. Yeah, maybe your average golfer doesn't exactly know what a Monday qualifier is, but maybe explain to them you know, you can play your way into a PGA Tour event just by kind of following the tour. Yeah, that, that's what I love is there's nothing like it in sports. You can be, quote unquote, an average Joe. You have to have a, a handicap of below 1.4. But if you do, you can sign up for a qualifier to play in a PGA Tour event. And, and I say as many of the success stories that I talk about, I think it's such a unique thing in sports. I uh, talk about a guy that played in the Byron Nelson a few years. His name is Todd Belkin was a pizza manager, uh, an assistant pro, had really not the talent to play on the PGA Tour, but had two great days, Monday qualified. And I sent him a message and he missed the cut by nine or 10. And he said it was the greatest week of my life. Yeah. And there's nothing like that in sports. There's no free throw contest to join the Lakers for a <laughs> night. There's no breakaway contest to, to play goalie for the Red Wings. Yeah. And that's essentially what this is. You can be a pizza delivery guy play two great rounds of golf and play on the biggest stage in the world. It's pretty crazy. What is the atmosphere like at these tournaments that you go to? I mean, obviously there aren't a, a ton of fans out there, but just, you know, having that opportunity that if they do go play well, they, they can make some money at the end of the day. Yeah. When you say there's not a ton of fans, there is no <laughs> it's fans. You. Yeah. There is uh, outside of a few girlfriends or wives or parents, there is no fans. Yeah. Uh, and that's a great point about the Reno open that's here. It's a great fan experience. The owner of the, of the Asher Tour said today, he's like, made a joke and said, you can even get inside the ropes tickets if you come out, <laughs> they're free and there is no ropes. So it's a great fan experience because you get to see shots uh, and you get to see talk with players. They'll often be in a, engaged with you um, because there is no fans and it's just shots you're not gonna see at the PJ Tour event when it's four or five deep at, at every hole.
Yeah, I just your thoughts on uh, being able to, to get inside the ropes, I guess, or just being there and documenting it. I guess, um, you know, the perseverance you see, the inspiration maybe that you see, I guess, what have you taken away from being around these golfers who are trying to make a living doing something exceptionally difficult? Yeah, I think it, that's what resonates with a lot of people is, I think it can relate to everything. These guys and girls chasing their dream are out of money, sleeping in cars, one bedroom apartments, living paycheck to paycheck, things that I think a lot of us can relate to. And I think a lot of people didn't realize was out there. So, I mean, it's a lot of a catalyst for me to try to figure out how to make this a business is like, these guys are chasing their dream. There's a ton of value in that. Um, and it's been, it's been really great to get, you know, I have a relationship with tons of players. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, to, to get insight into what their life looks like. So you haven't given up caddying. You've caddied at the last two Barracuda Championships yes. for Mark Baldwin. Um, I guess what have been your thoughts on this stop on the tour and just uh, you know this opportunity for these golfers to come up to Northern Nevada, Northern California and kind of see what this region has to offer? Yeah, a few points. One, opposite field event, which the Barracuda is, uh, and it always produces great stories. Uh, I say it all the time, the Open Championship uh, or the winner of the Barracuda, we always have this argument on Twitter, whose career will change more. Wow. <laughs> and it's often the, the person who wins the Barracuda. Um, you know, Greg Chalmers, Parker McLaughlin, those kind of guys, uh, their life changed at the Barracuda. Um, and so the field is full of guys who would give anything for a two-year exemption. So it's a great fan experience. It's a super special place to me. Uh, Mark Baldwin, who you referenced the first time when he Monday qualified, we were coming up 18, he thought his career might be over. He had made the cut and he said to me, you know, I've, I've chased this dream for 16 years and no matter what happens, uh, I can always say I made it on the PGA Tour, I made a cut. Yeah. So that happens a lot. The Barracuda is a super special place to me and Mark uh, is the first PGA Tour place I caddied. And uh, yeah, it's a great fan experience. It's like, there's not a lot of fans out there. You can get close, you can meet players. Uh, you can see great shots and great play. Like the, the difference between a top player and someone who wins at the Barracuda is minuscule. Yeah. Like very, very minuscule. If you go there, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. So yeah. I, I would strongly suggest anyone to come out. Other winners include uh, Colin Marikawa, yes. Gary Woodland. Obviously, they went on to win major championships. So I was going to ask, what is the level of golf that you see in these Monday qualifiers or in these uh, lower level, I guess, uh, you know, tournaments and, and fields and organizations because like you said there isn't that much difference between the kind of golf they're playing and actually getting on the PGA Tour and, and being able to play that kind of golf. Yeah it's hard to put into words except that I always say the players that you've never heard of who are playing in Monday qualifiers and mini tour events would be the best player in any club across the country. 99.9% .9 of clubs across the country. These guys just play at another level. You're talking about a half a stroke difference between being on the PGA Tour and being playing mini tours and Monday qualifiers. And you put one week together, Michael Block just did it. Mm -hmm. uh, you put 90 holes, 18 holes on a Monday qualifier and 72 holes and, and you can change your life. That's all there is to it. Um, and most of these guys, a lot of these guys playing in the Reno Open or Monday qualifiers can do that, have the ability to do that. Do they have the ability to be a sustainable, you know, multi-time tour winner? Maybe not but they definitely have a chance to, to play on the PGA Tour. Yeah, you mentioned Michael Block. He's obviously the PGA Club Pro from Southern California, as we said on yesterday's show. Actually born in Reno, lived here for a couple of years. I guess 
What did you think of that story, him finishing tied for 15th in the PGA Championship, making almost $300,000? And how much do you think that lights a fire under these golfers that you kind of chronicle, like, hey, that could be me maybe one day? 100%. Those, those are the carrots that keep a lot of these guys going, right? Um, Michael is a club pro, but again, it just shows the talent that is not playing on the PGA Tour. And he just hung with the world's best for a week. Can he do that sustained over a year? I, I would guess not, but it, he's, he will never be able to take that away. I, take, I said a few things about Michael is it didn't matter what he shot on Sunday. He would tell that story a million times, no matter if he shot 85 yesterday or he shot 70 like he did. Those experiences are why I love Monday qualifiers, or mm -hmm. in this case, the PGA pros getting a, a chance to, to play in a major. Uh, a, a friend of mine, Brett White, just Monday qualified for the Waste Management Championship, played in the, on the 16th hole. I asked him about it, it's like his eyes lit up and he missed the cut by a bundle. Yeah. But no matter what, if his career never goes any farther, he'll be able to tell that story. Uh, so that's what I love about Michael. That story happens a lot on the PJ Tour. Obviously not to that extent. It was amazing in a major, but those experiences are invaluable to these players. Well, thank you so much for joining us. He is Ryan uh, French of Monday Q Info, and uh, good luck uh, over there at the Reno Open. Thank you for coming into town. Whoever wins that on Thursday, as we mentioned, we'll get into the Barracuda Championship July 20th through the 23rd at Old Greenwood up in Truckee. So thanks for coming into our neighborhood. Thanks for having me in. All right, we'll be right back on NSN Daily after this break. This segment sponsored by Laub and Laub. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris and Mike with you in the Legends Bay Lounge, powered by Circus Sports. It is time to dive into Murray's Mailbag. Every Sunday, he'll take your questions on Twitter, answer them Monday on NevadaSportsNet.com, and then on Tuesday, we'll hash out a few of them for you right here on Daily. Was it a good week for the mailbag? It was, and it's the uh, last Monday mailbag in the next three weeks because okay. we have uh, Memorial Day off mm -hmm. next Monday, and then the following Monday, I'll be on vacation. So we okay. crammed a lot into this week's mailbag. Congratulations on your pending vacation. That's uh, it's a one-day vacation. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be a long Well, thing. we'll be missing the mailbag that day <laughs> anyway. So let's, uh, let's milk this one, shall we? The Pat Down wondering, how did the Nevada baseball players that transferred after former head coach T.J. Bruce took off, how did they do at their new schools this season? Good yeah, question. I would say generally a little bit worse. Obviously, a lot of them went up to the power conference level or to elite schools, so they're facing harder competition. The one who had the most success, Landon Wallace, went to West Virginia, had a 322 uh, average this year, an OPS above 1,000, 10 home runs, 17 steals. So he played really, really wow. well. Cam Walty, another one, he went to Arizona to pitch, a 5-0 record, 4.50 ERA and 45 innings pitch, so pretty solid there. Ryan Jackson went to USC, he's a shortstop, a 284 average OPS, right around 780. You had uh, Dario Gomez, who was a star player for Nevada a year ago. He went to Miami, um, did not have a ton of success there, hit 254 with a 782 OPS, and then the fifth of that big group that left with Jacob Stinson. He went to UC Irvine. He hit 226 with a 675 OPS. So you talk about those four position players at Nevada there last year, uh, a 919 OPS at their new schools this year, a 784 OPS. Obviously, hitting at elevation uh, benefits the OPS marks and then playing in those more difficult power conferences. That being said, you can only think of what could have been if you kept those five players. That was Four really good position players in the ace of their rotation left to transfer. That's why Nevada had some struggles this yeah, year. Yeah, a lot of talent took off, and uh, we'll see a year two under Jake McKinley what kind of talent is brought in, and of course a year older this team will be. All right, how about Reed, January 2. When will we know if Nevada football has any 
day games? That's a big question. Yeah, uh, any day, actually. <laughs> so if you go back to last year, the Mountain West television schedule was announced on May 25th. It is currently May 23rd, hmm. so it could happen this week. And how it works is the two main TV partners, CBS Sports Network and Fox, they get to select what games they want to play that are hosted by Mountain West schools. Any of those games that are not selected then revert back to Nevada to have the media rights. Obviously, we broadcast a couple of games last year, including the Texas State game, the Incarnate Word game. At that point, Nevada can play whenever it wants to. For those two games, they played at 2.30. Maybe actually not the best decision because it was like 95 degrees for one of those games and 88 degrees for the other one of those games. You look at Nevada's home schedule. This year, they've got Idaho, Kansas, UNLV, Hawaii, New Mexico, Wyoming. I would say the Kansas and the UNLV games for sure are picked up by the national networks. But you look at Idaho, you look at New Mexico, Wyoming, Hawaii, maybe not the most alluring game. So probably two or three of those fall through and Nevada could choose to play those during the day rather than those late kickoffs. And more than likely, we'd be able to partner with them and broadcast them on NSN. But we should get a lot of answers this week. Yeah, we'll see what uh, comes to fruition this week. It would be cool to see some games back on our airwaves staring at that Vandal matchup. A little daytime game <laughs> against Idaho. How fun would that be? All right. Yell ad man Johnny with the... Athletic director opening at USC. Is Stephanie Remp in contention for this position? And a bonus question. <laughs> Who's your favorite food network chef? Two uh, significant uh, questions, questions for different reasons. Though. Yeah, so we'll go with Stephanie <laughs> Ramp. I mean, she hasn't been on the job at Nevada for more than a year, so I think she has to build up that resume before she's in the running for a job like USC, which is one of the maybe 10 or 20 best AD jobs in the entire country. If she were to get this job, let's say, I, would, I did go back and look at her contract. Uh, her buyout would be about $1.5 million to Nevada if she were to leave. So I don't think she'll be in the running for this job. I think if you're the Wolfpack, your hope is that she continues to build up Nevada, maybe is one day in the running for a power conference job because she's had a lot of success here. In terms of the Food Network stars, mm. uh, I don't watch Food Network as much now as I used to. We were kind of talking about this over in the sports <laughs> office. I did like Robert Irving because he was yeah. kind of hard-nosed. Um, I also like uh, Alton Brown just in terms of, of really knowing you know, the ins and outs of, of cooking, and he did Iron Chef, and that mm -hmm. was a great show. Um, thoughts on Guy Fieri? He's kind of their big He's star. He's very polarizing. Along with Bobby Flay. <laughs> I don't know if I like him or I don't like him, but I do watch his uh, Triple D's Triple show. D is great television. He has frequented a few places yes. here in northern Nevada. I'm fine with Guy Fieri. I wouldn't say he's my favorite Food Network star, but I'm, I'm okay with him. Okay. You know, I can tolerate Guy. He's a big sports fan, too. <laughs> he's um, been up at the American Century Championship before. That's right. Um, didn't leave with the best reputation. I don't is think that he's right? Been back since. So, yeah, I haven't heard those rumblings. Okay. Puffed up ego, but you know he d has done a lot of great things with the fires in Northern California and donating time and food and energy into that. So, um, who's your favorite Food Network star? I got to go back to a little throwback. How about Rachel Ray? Okay. I've always kind of had like a weird thing for Rachel Ray. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, she was on ABC for a long time. Of course, I'll go Rachel Ray, Bobby Flay, close second. Yes, I like Bobby and Michael Simon. Actually, he's kind of Michael Simon, very good. Bobby Flay has been into town. He's done a, a Food Network throwdown ah. with the uh, crew over at Squeezin, who could make a better omelet. That's right. I don't I remember, remember that. if he won. And there actually is an omelet, I believe, on their menu named after Bobby Flay. Can you tell which mailbag question got the biggest talking out of uh, the sports office? Yes. I love that. The little Food Network inkling there. Uh, okay, Bobby Flay has made it into town. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, let's transition now back into sports. Doodlebug NV. Although Reno Sparks has a few public pools, I feel that we lack a true aquatic 
Center. Are there any plans in the works to maybe build something better? Yeah, we actually discussed this a little bit on yesterday's show, and I said that I would go and check out the Moana Aquatic Center, how That's it's going. Right, that yeah. is uh, right next to where the old uh, Moana soccer fields are. There are still some soccer fields there and a baseball field. So, as I mentioned, my daughter's orthodontist meeting was yesterday right down the street from there. She is getting her braces off in a couple of oh, weeks. So, yeah, very, very big day for her. Like uh, she's that. had those on for two and a half years. But they've got the parking lot out there. They've got the road graded, the, the dirt graded, but there's nothing going up at mm. this point. So they broke ground on it almost a year ago, and the projection is to have this thing completely built out by the summer of 2024. So hopefully a year from now, we do have a state-of-an-art facility. It's supposed to be a $12 million project, but I do think it does say something that when state is held here for swimming uh, and diving, they have to do it in the Carson That's Valley right. and in Carson City. They can't even do it at Lombardi Rec, where Nevada swimming and diving competes, because even that facility is not really state of the it's art. Not big so enough, yeah. uh, hopefully, in the very near future, we do have this awesome aquatic center uh, for all of Reno Sparks that can benefit so many swimmers, and it'll be very lovely. But as of now, nothing going upward. That's a, a lot of horizontal building. Yeah, yeah, they no have the space. Yeah. At least they haven't <laughs> built anything else over there. Yeah. The renderings are beautiful, so let's hope there. they come to fruition again. The plan is for next summer for that to be open. They better get moving. Once again, you can see Chris's full mailbag at NevadaSportsNet.com. Kat Cora, also a good one of the Iron Chefs. Oh, yes. More low-key. Yeah, she's like uh, Louisiana-based, I Okay, believe. yeah. I feel like watching some Food Network all of a sudden. Yeah. Keep it on NSN, though, for the moment, okay? <laughs> Next on Daily, the NFL's offseason continuing to bring headlines, the latest rule changes, and more on the other side of this break. It's NSN Daily on a Tuesday. Mike and Chris with you talking some NFL off-season news. We've got the spring owners meetings taking place through tomorrow over in Minneapolis. And with it coming some changes, including a new rule allowing teams to dress a third quarterback on game days without using a spot on that game day active roster. That third quarterback, though, can only play due to injury reasons. Chris, they're calling it the Brock Purdy rule. Yes, cool to have a rule named after you. You probably don't <laughs> want it because of a result of injury. But it does make sense. I mean, no team should have to put... In the 49ers case, Christian McCaffrey back there right. to try and run an offense after not only the injury to Brock Purdy, but then Josh Johnson behind him. So I think, uh, you know, this is long overdue. Probably should have already been in place where you can dress three quarterbacks in case of the worst case scenario. Call it the emergency backup quarterback. Moving on now, talking some flex changes. Also passing yesterday by the owners, the flex rule will come to Thursday night football. It must be a 28-day notice by the league and teams, uh, and a team cannot be on the road twice in one season on those Thursday games. Safe to say players aren't too happy about this change because nobody really likes playing on a Thursday, yeah. I don't think. I mean, I, I, Thursday games are dumb because of the taxing it does put on somebody's body. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's a huge money grab there and it creates a lot more revenue and some of that money does come down uh, to the players as you look at the collective bargaining agreement. That being said, before they even allowed the flex for Thursday, they said teams could play multiple Thursday games, which in the past, everybody plays one Thursday game, so you only have to play on that three-day rest only once during the season. Some teams are going to be doing it twice. Um, I don't like it at all. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I understand why they want to own every day of the week. But teams should not be put in that situation. Uh, they talk so much about health and safety. They are actually changing the kickoff rules right now. That's where right. You could do a fair catch, go out to the 25-yard line, because they're trying to basically take the kickoffs out of the game because of the injuries, specifically concussions. If they really cared about injuries, I don't think they would be putting as many games as they are on Thursday night. That's the thing. Like you said, 
Money talks. Yeah. All right, moving on now, talking a little Las Vegas Raiders, and there was rumblings about this story, and now it appears to, appears to be official as Tom Brady is a new part owner of the team down south, the future Hall of Fame quarterback joining the Mark Davis-led group, becoming just the third player in the history of the NFL to then become an owner. He joins George Hollis and Jerry Richardson. Chris, this isn't the first business venture down south for the GOAT. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think, you know, he's the face of the league for a long, long time, and I think him getting into ownership makes a ton of sense. He wanted to do it with Miami. They ended up losing a first-round draft right. because of that, so probably couldn't go there. Uh, Mark Davis obviously isn't the most wealthy owner in the NFL, probably the least wealthy, so I think if he can get a little bit more cachet in his ownership group, I am curious to see what percentage stake Tom Brady is that getting, is, yeah. and it doesn't sound like it's going to impact his possible move to the Fox broadcast booth. That's supposed to happen two years from now. Obviously, there could be a conflict of interest there, but it seems like everybody has okayed that. So uh, maybe he owns a full team down the road. I'm sure uh, he's built a lot of his businesses and probably going to have a lot of money down the road. I read a line in that story, too, that he could technically suit up for uh, the Raiders if he was inclined to, but the owners would have to approve it. Okay. Well, not this year. Jimmy G. Could you imagine if he's like, Jimmy, you're the backup again to oh, me? That'd be bad. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But yeah, Tom Brady, also part of that Las Vegas Aces ownership group as well with Mark Davis. And it was announced Monday afternoon, the Super Bowl is headed back to Northern California. Super Bowl 60, which is hard to think about. That'll be in 2026, and it'll be at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, which maybe you remember Super Bowl 50 being there in 2016. That was Peyton Manning's final game for the Broncos as he jumped on Vaughn Miller's back mm. and that Broncos defense led him to that win over the Panthers. Uh, we were talking about this before we went on air. They are still the San Francisco 49ers, located far from San Francisco. Yeah, and though. Santa Clara. I mean, it is surprising <laughs> to get two Super Bowls in an 11-year span. Uh, you know, that's great for them. Obviously, this upcoming Super Bowl, 2024, going to be at Allegiant Stadium, so that'll be very exciting. Ooh. That'll be Nevada's first chance hosting uh, the biggest sporting event in America. But uh, whenever you get to Super Bowl, it's a huge event, so congratulations to Santa Clara and to the 49ers. All right. Next, we're looking at Nevada basketball's bench, but not the players there instead the coaches a couple of them honored recently we have those details and more coming up next on daily welcome back to nsn daily on a tuesday he's chris i'm mike we're talking a little wolfpack hoops now as we patiently wait for nevada to fill its last open scholarship any idea when that might happen uh i mean uh, there's no like pressure to get it done they've basically been right. looking at division one transfer centers that would kind of be your third center on the team so probably not going to be necessarily a high profile impact transfer but that's kind of the priority now we'll see if that changes but I, I don't think it's happening anytime imminently they have time all right a couple guys who play a role in those efforts as in bringing players to the wolfpack craig neal and corey barnett they were honored by Silver Waves Media as impactful men's <laughs> mid-major assistants. Chris, it's safe to say uh, Steve Alford has a strong staff. Yeah, so there are 75 mid-major assistant coaches on this list, eight from the Mountain West. Nevada was one of two schools in the Mountain West with two honorees. So obviously, Craig Neal, 59 years old, has previously been a head coach at New Mexico, uh, went 76 and 52 in four years with the Lobos, replaced Steve Alford there. Corey Barnett maybe fits into that rising star a little bit more. He's only 34 years old. He spent six years on UCLA's staff under Steve Alford. The last four here at Nevada actually played his ball at Indiana as a walk-on. So two out of the three make it. I also want to give a shout out to Bill Dwayne, uh, uh, the third assistant coach full-time on Nevada staff and really different than the Eric Musselman uh, era. All three of those guys have been on this staff since the start. You have not seen 
the constant turnover of that assistant staff, I think stability is a very good thing. So congratulations to Coach Barnett, who's kind of run Nevada's defense over right. the last year. And I think Nevada's defense should be upgraded even more next year with some additions to that front court. Obviously, Craig Neal, one of the best friends Steve Alford's had in his entire life. And then again, the shout out to Bill Dwayne, who's done a phenomenal job as well. All of them had a big impact on Nevada going from 13 wins two years ago to 22 this last Dwayne year. really focusing on those bigs for sure. All right, this week ESPN talking about a top 75 list, also ranking the top 75 college quarterbacks of the 2000s. And you know, after passing for over 10,000 yards and rushing for over 4,000, Colin Kaepernick had to be on this list. Chrissy's in the top half. I would argue he might deserve to go a little higher. Yeah, he was number 31. So the 31st best quarterback in college football, basically over the last 23 seasons. You mentioned those 10,000 passing yards, 4,000 rushing yards. He's the only player in college football history to accomplish that. Finished eighth in the Heisman voting in 2010 when Nevada went 13 and one, finished 11th in the country. Here's a stat that I dug up that I think kind of symbolizes how important Colin Kaepernick was to Nevada. Since 2000, in the 48 games Colin Kaepernick started, Nevada has won 67% of those games. In the 237 games that he has not started, Nevada has won 47% of those games. So you're talking about a 20% win uh, percentage increase during Kaepernick's starts versus everybody else's starts. And Nevada's had some really good quarterbacks right. come through its program since 2000. When you think of Cody Fajardo, you go all the way back to David Neal, Jeff Rowe. Um, there's been some really good guys who have been under center. But Colin Kaepernick was a game changer for Nevada. Certainly deserves to be on this list. I would agree and say he's a little bit underrated because his name is in the NCAA record book 16 times still. 16. He put up some huge numbers, but he was one of only six non-power uh, conference quarterbacks in the top 40. So maybe not quite as much love for the group of five quarterbacks okay. as those power conferences. Number one on the list was Baker Mayfield. I was just going to say number one, Baker Mayfield, who didn't even start for four full seasons. Did yeah, he? a little bit questionable. You look at the top six, uh, five of those six won national championships. Mm, Baker Mayfield never made it to a national title game. Not to say that he wasn't great, but number one, maybe a little questionable. And I saw former Wolfpack coach Timmy Chang on there too. Yeah, number, number 73. 73. Uh, Kellen Moore, the old uh, Boise State rival of Nevada. He was the top uh, non-power conference quarterback on the list. I think he was 13th. I wow. think he only lost three games in his entire career, something like 51-3. and three. He's a legend over there in Boise. Yes. That is for dang sure. All right, one more segment to get to on this Tuesday edition of NSN Daily. We're wrapping things up with our weekly poll question. As the weather gets nice, we want to know where you like to spend your time outdoors. That's next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris and Mike with you on a Tuesday, wrapping things up with our NSN Poll of the Week via our Nevada Sportsnet Twitter account. We asked you with our Exploring Our Backyard series returning next week, which you all should be looking forward to that. Where is your favorite place to explore in our region? Lake Tahoe, Gray Eagle, Truckee Donner, or Genoa? Genoa. Uh, I think it's no surprise that Lake Tahoe almost got seven out of ten votes here, Chris. I would have expected maybe even more, although we have plenty of beautiful options. Yeah, it was nice to see some people pick the other options. Lake Tahoe at 68%. Nobody can blame them. I particularly <laughs> like Gray Eagle. It's less than an hour drive. You feel like you're in the middle of the woods. We love the Nakoma Resort, which has a great restaurant. And then Brewer's Lair, which is basically a brewery and a motorhome in the middle of the forest, is a really cool place. Genoa, near and dear to my heart, having grown up in Gardnerville, I would uh, Give a shout out to Wally's Hot Springs, and obviously Donner Lake is beautiful as well. But I think the go-to spot for most people, Lake Tahoe. You can't really go wrong with any of those <laughs> options, and I would vote Lake Tahoe myself. But it's funny because I think I've probably explored a slight sliver of Lake Tahoe, especially yeah. compared to other locals. So I have a lot more of 
Lake Tahoe to see. We're going to get you out on some of these exploring our backyard. I'm excited. My we did first season. Half of our staff is going to Sacramento today yeah. to float the river. Have fun, you guys. Yeah. We'll hold it down here from the Champion Chevrolet Studio. That's NSN Daily on a Tuesday, friends. Let's do it again tomorrow.